0: ready. Welcome to episode 43 of the Go Get Em Agility podcast. My name is Margaret Hughes and I'm your host. No Emma today, just me. And I was listening to one of my favorite instructors the other day and she was going on in her podcast, she was going on about hard versus soft skills. Now I've been around agility for a number of years and this was the very first time that I had heard this uh, skills, either dog skills or handler skills, referred to as hard or soft. And I'm listening to her, and I'm understanding what she's talking about, but I'm like, how the heck are new people supposed to understand what she's talking about? And for that matter, the lingo and the... the Opposing opinions on training can be so confusing. So I wanted to talk about how confusing agility can be. And, you know, I talked about stress last last podcast, and I think that this adds to our stress of just learning the sport of agility, how the variation within the agility community can be so diverse and so challenging to follow for new people especially for new people I mean it's challenging for me as a, a seasoned agility handler there are times when new lingo pops up and I'm like what is this so let's let's talk about how confusing and the different types of confusion that is within the agility community. So, I grew up on the lingo the the dictionary of agility that there were three side changes in agility, the front cross, the blind cross and the rear cross. And I still to this day work most of my handling and most of my instruction around these three basic side changes. So I always tell my new people, if the word cross is in my sentence, it means you're doing a side change. So if we're talking about a front cross, it means that we're doing a side change. Now, how we do that side change is those three side change crosses, front cross, blind cross, rear cross, those are all three different ways to get on the other side of your dog, or for your dog to get on the other side of you. But what happened a few years back is people started combining the moves and calling them something completely different. And personally, I, I think it's a little bit of a marketing scheme, you know, trying to carve themselves out a way to differentiate their training from somebody else's training. But at the guts of, of some of these moves, some of these terms, is the three basic side changes front cross, rear cross, blind cross. Um, you know, and so doing a, a double blind cross, a blind cross immediately followed by another blind cross, they would give that its own lingo, its own word, which makes sense if you want to have a conversation like let's just talk about the um this word but i felt like it was now we're having to not only learn our three crosses our front cross blind cross and rear cross but now we're having to learn the pairing of them together and for me personally i just never went down that road but i was also not willing to go and buy into their program so You know, if you buy into their program, then obviously you're going to go by their terms. But that brings me to another, somebody that I do follow. So this person that was doing their podcast of these hard and soft skills. And I understand, you know, a hard skill is something that you're working towards and then a soft skill is the finesse of that on course of how to uh, take a front cross and massage it to your dog's ability or within a handling sequence, and you know at what place do you put it, how fast do you put it, blah blah blah. And but I think that sometimes the lingo overtakes the ability to just look at what the dog's doing. And, and one of the most difficult things of agility and what I think requires time in the saddle, but also observing your dog through video is how the dog responds to our motion, our position, our eye contact, our lack of eye contact, our acceleration, our deacceleration, And learning how to read that, that is what this trainer was referring to as a soft skill. Learning how to read your dog in the moment and knowing what you've trained, but then also what may still need to be supported. So if let's say that I train a backside and I've trained a... a not only just the hard skill of training the backside, teaching the dog to go to the backside of the jump and jump towards me, that teaching that is based mainly on my location. And so if I've trained that on my location, but then I've switched it over to a verbal only so now I've got the backside and it's on a verbal only. So my location is no longer needing to be part of the sequence or the, the skill. When I'm running a course and I give that verbal backside, the soft part of that skill is learning to recognize they didn't hear it, right? They're still on the front side of the jump, regardless of what I'm verbally saying, and so you could put this down to, well, maybe the verbal's not truly trained, but I would also venture to say that when dogs are still up and coming, even though the verbal may be trained, the environment is also going to start to play a factor and learning how to take in that verbal information while also learning how to take in the environment is a... a process for the dog. And within that process, while they are still learning how to handle verbal discriminations under environmental stress, I as a handler have to recognize that and or predict it and see that my dog is not on the backside line, not on the backside path and step in to help give other cues like location to get the backside and so this soft skill of learning how to visualize that is an important part of growing up in agility and that can literally in my opinion take years for a handler to learn all right but i i kind of digressed a little bit on on the confusion part of it is that when we talk about how difficult it is to read a dog just calling that a soft skill in my opinion is a little confusing <laughs> um, and so that that's just i just wanted to point that out how confusing it can be to be a new handler listening to other trainers lingo on agility. All right, but here's another one. Another thing that I want to talk about is opposing training methods. And so two, two, three weeks ago, a very well-known agility trainer put up a start line, three ways that he thought people could ruin their start lines. And his second uh, idea was people that are not watching their dogs when they're released. And he said that's one of the fastest ways to um, lose your start line is not seeing them when they're being released. And so not knowing whether or not they uh, moved when you were leading out. So that was about three weeks ago. He posted that. And then a day ago, Another well-known trainer posted just the opposite, uh, why I don't look at my dog when I lead out. And theirs was advantages to not making eye contact until before the release. And so these are two... And the the example that she gave, so she says that she makes eye contact right before the release, but the examples that she gave, the videos that she posted within her um her her Instagram post or her TikTok video was almost an instant the second that she turned and looked at the dog, the dog was being released. So it was almost like her face turning towards the dog was the release cue, which was in complete opposition of what the other trainer said in that the motion should not release the dog. The verbal only should release the dog. And so you have these two opposing training methods and both of them have stellar start lines. Both of them do. Um, and so the question then becomes, is it more about the trainer rather than the method and how they've raised their dogs for their start lines, not necessarily their methods. So because both methods seem to be working for both of them. And I personally, I do a little bit of both. So I'm a hybrid of both watching my dog and not watching my dog. And I definitely am a verbal only release. So me turning my head back towards my dog is not their release word. Um, And I don't always do a very quick release. I almost always uh, while I may not stop, I certainly will turn my head and watch them for that release more than the, the person did in the video. All right. So that's opposing training methods. Confusing, confusing. Uh, here's another one that I heard today in a podcast, very popular podcast, and they were talking about teeter criteria and they they essentially put it into three buckets. The teeter criteria. We're talking about the and the end end of the teeter. So the three buckets of uh, two on two off, four on or running teeter releases or just running releases. Um, and just the for the new person, the confusion of well, which one should I pick? right? Which one should I do two on? Should I do four on? Should I do a moving teeter or a a running teeter? And with every single thing that I have mentioned from the lingo, which can be regional, it can be trainer dependent, it can be a handling system that you follow or your trainer follows, to the opposing training methods, to contact criteria, what it really boils down to is, one, once you understand agility, especially your second dog, then you need to go with what works for your dog. And what makes the most sense to you as a handler. And that is probably going to change and evolve over the years. And the more information that you get, the more trainers that you um, visit, either online or in person, seminars that you go to, even the friendships that you develop in agility are going to help mold your training more and more towards what works for you and your dog and my most important piece of information that i want to get across here is that your dog is giving you information on how your training is going so pay attention to how your dog is reacting because if they're getting a lot of stuff wrong then chances are your training needs to move in a different direction and having opposing uh, training methods especially if you're going to two or three different trainers plus a trainer online is it's not that one of them is wrong and one of them is right it's that there are different methods that work for different dogs and finding that method and finding what works for your dog is so very important and I will I'll try something, I'll experiment with my dog and say, right, how did this work? And then I'll try something else and then I'll, I'll let it sit for a couple of weeks and then I'll try it again. And learning how to experiment with your dog in a way that keeps your dog winning is an important thing to learn how to do because if the dog's getting it wrong and being told they're wrong, in, in, a, in a almost an angry way, is going to bring some dogs down. Now, some dogs are resilient and they're like, whatever, tell me I'm wrong, put me in a lie down, I'm going to pop up from that lie down and want to try again. But there will come a point where your dog will give up trying. And so when they're getting it wrong, you have to know that dogs don't want to get things wrong. They just don't. They always want to try and do the correct thing. And they'll do what they think is right. And And if your handling is off, then it's so important to see that. It's so important to see, man, I was really pushing on their line. Or they can't even see the obstacle that I'm asking to, them to do the backside on. Right? So there's so many things that happen in agility where... We think we can blame the dogs and we really can't. And so, in this confusing lingo and confusing opposing method training criteria that that we get from different agility instructors, the most important thing is to look at your dog, look at what they're doing, how many mistakes are they making, and how is your handling or your training. Building into that. And so don't be afraid to reward mistakes and keep the dog in the game. Don't be afraid to pull out of something and say, Nope, 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 come back here for a cookie reset. It's okay that you got that wrong. And yes, I told you that you didn't hit your contacts or whatever. But I'm also going to reset you with a cookie. You're not in trouble going back to the start line, you're not in trouble going back and resetting. The scenario that we just did you unless you are saying nope and then immediately cooking and throwing a ball for the nope nope will just become yes right so it's good to give information nope nope that wasn't it in an informational way but it's can be very dangerous and dangerous isn't the right word it can be very um depressing to the dog to be like, nope, lie down, right? And sometimes they need that, but you have to know your dog and you have to know how many times can they handle it. And if they can't handle it at all, try and keep that information, just information only, nope, nope. There's a difference on how we say it. So here's an example of what I'm talking about. I have heard over the years, different information on how to work knocked bars. Now, anybody that's been following me saw early, it's kind of the mid-range of my training, right around 10 to 12 months, Eli was doing a ton of bar knocking. So he was more running over the jumps and I didn't have them that high. They were anywhere from eight to maybe 12 inches, but for the most part, it was eight and tens that he was knocking, knocking, knocking. And I wasn't worried about it. I wasn't focused on it. And that is in complete opposition to other trainers that right from the moment a bar is introduced, any mistake on the bar is corrected. Is The dog is stopped, the bar is reset, and the dog is taught never to touch the bar. Well, I didn't grow up in that camp. I grew up in the camp of let them grow up. You can have a bar on there to... Practice certain things, but don't get hung up on the bar dropping. Now, Eli is one of my f- biggest bar knockers that I've had to date, um, but he's also one of the dogs that I've done the most training on from from the beginning. So, e- I mean, even even though I had all my other dogs, um, you know, posting except for my very first one, in, first and second agility dog, all the dogs from three on. I have been training them towards agility with agility in mind since we brought them into our homes. And so all of them have had agility training from the get-go, but Eli has had the most extensive training for agility and me getting into very nuanced training. And he's also my biggest bar knocker. And so my opinion and the training method that I followed was... Don't worry about the bar knocking until you start doing jump training. So I was doing mostly just handler training and doing all other stuff other than official jump training. And so when I started him on official jump training and I followed the path of Linda Mecklenburg, so that was my jump training experience, and others, I I have some other methods in there as well, because I'm very much a hybrid trainer, I will take things and I will experiment with them, see what works and keep going with that. And anything that doesn't work, I start to knock out of my training. I won't drill it until it does work. So uh, when I started my jump training, then I started dealing with Eli's bar knocking. My history that I have been taught is that when they knock a bar. Go ahead and tell him to lie down. And so I started telling Eli to lie down every single time that he knocked a bar. And in the beginning, it was probably three out of 10 bars he was knocking. So he was being told to lie down a bit. And about two to three weeks into his jump training, he started to stress when the bar went down. And he started to refuse to sit down. And I'm like, and, and at the exact same time, uh, even prior to refusing to sit down, he started to stress yawn. And so while the lie down, I, I held on to the lie down a little bit longer than I should have. There came a point when I realized I'm doing more damage by telling him to lie down then I am having an advantage to not knocking the bar. And so I changed my tactics at that point and I just had him just wait, just stop moving for a little bit so that I can reset the bar. And I started to reward him for not moving. So I didn't reward him for knocking the bar and I did tell him that he was wrong, but he also started to notice the bar go down and care about the bar going down, which actually became... A problem because then he started to avoid it and so learning how to recognize some people if I had started this at eight weeks who knows maybe he just never would have started bar knocking or not eight weeks but whenever I if I had started this the first time that I put a bar on maybe he would have been fine never less bar knocking as we went on But maybe he would have become sensitized to the bar because he was so young and he didn't have the neurological brain power to be able to handle it. And so the point of me talking about his bar knocking is that there are two different camps of opinion on bar knocking. Maybe three. I don't know. I just know the two that I know. And... When my decision to start working on his bar knocking, the way that I was taught to fix it, started to go sideways, right at that point, I had to make a decision on whether or not to keep pushing that. And my understanding of dogs is if I keep correcting him for bar knocking, I may lose him altogether. And so while I held on to the lie down a little bit longer than I'm happy with now, hindsight being twenty twenty, the important part is that I did recognize it and started to take it out of my training. And that doesn't mean that I can't bring it back in. But I have to know that some dogs, Eli included, is a lot softer than he looks to be when he's tugging, because he is a monster when he's tugging. But you take that tug away, and all of a sudden he cares. He cares about getting things wrong, which I think most dogs do. All right, so where am I going with this all? (laughs) My point of this podcast is to let the new handler know how, within the agility community, how confusing The lingo is how confusing different training methods can be how confusing uh, handling systems can be and how they can directly go opposite of each other and that that's okay it's okay i would for my own students and for um, um people that are going to other agility instructors Take what is working and continue to grow with that. And anything that's not working for you, either voice it to your instructor or seek out a different way to attack whatever problem you may be having, whether it be a dog training skill on the obstacles or a handler training skill on yourself and learn a different way Try it, experiment with it, but never be afraid to go back to something, give it a rest, go back to something and try it again. As I always say, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So just because something isn't working today doesn't mean that it won't work three or six months from now. But on the reverse, if something isn't working for you, go ahead and stop doing it you know, even if your instructor insists, you know, hey, no, you need to try this, try it. But then you don't need to put it into your own training. And if your dog's behavior is dropping in confidence, absolutely look at that. Make sure you're seeing everything on video. Because sometimes it can just be a simple mistake that you didn't see because you're in the middle of a blind cross. Whereas your dog just needs a little extra support. Maybe the blind cross isn't possible at this moment because they do need you looking at them. But don't be afraid to go back and try it again, right? So yes, agility is confusing. Yes, the lingo is confusing. Everybody has a different word for a backside. Everybody has a different word for the word for the action of jumping. Um, everybody has a different word for... The teeter, we have multiple ways of of having criteria on our teeter, on our A-frame, on our dog walk. Even the pause table has different criteria. Some people insist that you need to do a down. Some people don't care. Uh, And so look at what is working for your dog. Look at what is working for you, but never be afraid to step outside of your instructor and go with something else, Um, some instructors, me included, I'm willing to have other people's methods come into my classroom, but I'm always also willing to defend my way of training. Um, But I'm also always learning. I've just revamped my, my weave pull um, uh, training. And so that is new, a new way that I experimented with Eli And I'm experimenting with it so far. I love it, but it's not old enough and doesn't have enough history on a whole lot of dogs to see if it's going to prove out in a competition arena. So while experimentation is good, the most important thing when experimenting and trying new things is to keep the dog in mind and keep the dog's confidence high, whether you're telling them they're right or they're wrong. Uh, rewarding them on cookie resets, on cookie transports, keep them in the game. You lose them, the whole thing is hard to watch. (laughs) It is hard to watch a a dog that doesn't enjoy doing stuff. It's hard to watch them. For me, anyway. Uh, All right. So as confusing as agility is, once you map it out in your own brain, write it down, your definitions, your dog's dictionary – what your dog does and doesn't like, then clarity may come through and I hope it does. I hope you have a brilliant agility career either starting or continuing or finishing in 2024. All right, happy training! Woof woof!